I'll ask anybody's questions but yours, if you're an idiot. My wife can score more than two buckets on 11 shots because I know my wife will at least shot fake one time. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Welcome on in. It's Made for March here. Tyler Aki and Tim Leonard talking all things college basketball with you. We've got a lot to get to. I mean, probably the college basketball story of the year. Coach K lashing out at student reporters. We'll get to that. We've got so much stuff in our one and dones. We're, of course, going to do Baconator Bachelor because it is our first episode of the week. And what a big Monday it was, Tim. We've got to get into all of that as well. But first, if you're new to the show, be sure to subscribe. And then you can find us on Twitter at made the number for March. All right. Coach K. I mean, <laughs> where do we even begin here? He lashes out at his, a student report. Tim, I don't know what your major was. What, what, what's your major? What, what, what's your major? Um, but I don't know about you. I didn't find this all that bad. No. I, I feel like people are overreacting a bit totally. much to this. And I don't like, listen, did he have to get extra? Well, I won't even say did he have to get extra personal, but. To me, when you're a student reporter, and Tim, both you and I are not too far removed from being student reporters, and, and we dealt with probably the biggest curmudgeon in the entire country in Jim Beheim. but when you're a student reporter, you want to be treated like everyone else in the room. And to me, the kid was treated like everyone else in the room when that happened. Coach K will lash out at people, all right? And... I listen, it was a fair question, all right? Completely fair question. Good on the reporter for asking it. And it was also a completely fair answer in retaliation. That's the way I saw it. Yeah, this is such a big like making something out of nothing here really. I mean, the fact to me that I mean, the I think blue it, check brigade just, yeah. just came out <laughs> and, and was, was ready to defend this kid and like listen, th there's no problem with hey, hey kid, keep your head up like the the question was fine, but I didn't feel like Coach K needed the backlash that he got. Exactly. If it wasn't Coach K, it wouldn't even be a story. This stuff happens every single day and every single week in college basketball at some sort of level, some sort of coach saying something to play-by-play, -play, reporter, whatever. They make comments like this, and that's just the nature of it. But it is Coach K, so it becomes more of a story. And just the fact that I think it was Kyle Boone who tweeted the video for the first time and he was on it and posted the Zoom link to it or posted the Zoom clip, basically. He didn't tweet it until two hours after the Zoom call was already done, which tells me if it really was, oh my gosh, holy cow, what did Coach K just do? Then people that were on that Zoom call would have made a point of it and been like, that was unacceptable, that's not allowed, that's out of the norm of what Coach K or other coaches normally say. So the fact that it didn't go out until two hours after, and I'd be willing to bet that if we had Kyle Boone on this podcast and we were like, hey, Kyle, when you tweeted that, what did you think would happen? I don't think even he would have guessed that it would have gotten that big of a reaction. I mean, no one talked about it two hours after it happened. I think that proves that this was just kind of really taken to a different level that it should have gone to. It's weird. I mean, it reminds me, remember when we were in school and Syracuse played Baylor in the NCAA tournament. Now, now this, you know what? I'm just even, I'm going to find the audio for this, and I'm just going to play it <laughs> right here. But when Jim Beheim went after one of our fellow student reporters 
at uh, the NCAA tournament, no one batted an eye. No one batted an eye when this happened. Last question. Hi, Coach. Uh, I was wondering what your thoughts are on uh, Buddy's performance tonight in his third consecutive start. He struggled offensively, but I'd expect that from a freshman. I, I'm not sure. Where are you from? Uh, Citrus TV. Where? Citrus TV. Syracuse. Oh, you're from. I figured. I should have known that. Your first question, I should have known that. Thank you, guys. So for a little context there, and and the first question that, that Beheim was alluding to, he asked Tyus Battle, who again was a, an NBA draft prospect at the time, asked him, have you thought about your future yet? And, and it's the first question off the bat of the press conference. So it's probably not the time or place. He, he just finished playing a game. He, his career may or may not be over at this point. And he asked that question, and then that's the that's what elicits the response from Beheim in the final question to bookend the entire press conference. And honestly, the video probably does it a little yeah. more justice because <laughs> there's a complete stare down match. But th that's berating. That is rude. That is that is taking it over the top with a, a college a student reporter right there. But to me, and listen, no. no maybe someone went up to him and said, hey, like, keep your head up, kid. And like, all that's fine. All that's fine. And that's what should be done. But nobody, nobody just went out on Twitter and said, oh, Coach Beheim just ripped apart a, a student report. That was way worse. That was 10, 15 times worse than than what we saw with, with the kid over the weekend. If it was any other coach in America, I don't think it's even a story. And by the way, Coach K did apologize to the kid, uh, Jake Piazza's his name. Yeah, but but I feel like he only apologized because he saw the the backlash or, or was informed. I, I shouldn't say he saw. He heard and was sure. informed of the backlash. I, I don't think if, if this wasn't a big deal, like if, if the same thing happened and everything got brushed under the rug like that Bayheim clip that we just played, then I don't think no. that he's making an apology. Yeah, but I still think it was, it was good that he did it because that's the only person I really care about. I don't want to hurt. I mean, that kid's that was his first ever question to Coach K. The fact that it became this much of a story was kind of ridiculous. And I mean, let's just think of it this way. Like Coach K, I guess from my perspective, I'm the ideal candidate to be against Coach K in this situation. I'm a UNC so fan. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like UNC. I don't like Coach K. And as you said, we were not that long ago in the position of being the student reporter and asking questions. And we know the history of Bayheim, and that was a big part of why it was tough to ask questions as a student. And he would look down on you as a student. Like, that's at least what he would kind of... I mean, that's talked about a lot. And Coach K, I will say this, He's got a reputation for not really respecting students as well. And I don't think he's alone in that regard, but people were, you know, really digging back into his past. There was a 1990 or so article about how apparently a, a kid at the time who was in the same position as Jake Piazza at the Chronicle, I believe it's called at Duke, basically. Yeah. Uh, pretty big on Twitter. You know that they have the handle at Duke basketball. Really? That's their they grab that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I wonder if there's some sort of war. Like, I, I know Duke's getting much more active on social media. Like, I'll see their TikToks come up into my feed, like, every other day. So I'm, I'm wondering if this is, like, a little waged war against the Duke Chronicle to, to get the handle. Yeah, so anyway, this article, I did read it from early 90s when Coach K hadn't even won a national title yet. And he gets on, in this article, it's basically a kid who was working for the Chronicle was asked to meet with Coach K, the whole Chronicle staff, team of writers, whatever, 
And Coach K just laid into them with tons of curse words, and he didn't know that there was a recording going on, and the kid writes about sort of explaining what was what happened. And Coach K's whole take is like, you guys are supposed to be supporting our program. It's unbelievable that you're not being... Basically, he's asking them to be biased towards Duke because they're student journalists, mm-hmm. which is a, a yeah. tough scene. That's way, way worse than anything that happened here. So... I will say Coach K has a reputation for this. I think if you ask anyone that follows Duke basketball, they know that he's not very kind to the college reporters and he understands who the student journalists are and he probably treats them a little bit unfairly, but that's not just an exclusively Coach K thing. And I I know I'm like I'm not defending Coach K to the point where I would tell you he's a good guy. I don't like Coach K in terms of his off the court stuff a lot of instances. I don't think This is new to him to be brought up in this type of manner. But this specific one-off incident, if we're just looking at that, it did not warrant this type of outrage and this type of response. I mean, Baron Davis is on Twitter calling Coach Kane a-hole, and all these other people are going after him. Like, I just thought that was a little unnecessary. That's, yeah, I mean, listen, I I just don't understand why this became so big. Like, I really don't. This is a, a total kind of non-issue in my eyes that i mean we'll see how what it looks like i do want to say this there there are a couple coaches and big name coaches at that in college basketball who are great with student reporters have you heard some of these stories about tom Izzo, how he like holds court with the students at times and he gives those kids like all the access in the world like Izzo is great with student reporters you know who's also good? Uh, I believe Nate Oates is really, really good. Like I, I had a great experience with Nate Oates when I was in college, when he was at Buffalo. And there was one time after a game, and I just went up to him because I was like, hey, Nate, I'm a huge fan of your program. Actually, no, because he, I, the Alabama folk right now are probably living. I did call him Coach Oates. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> I called him Coach Oates. I'm a huge fan of your program. I and like I've watched you the past two years and, and like you guys are doing something awesome down at Buffalo and we had like a, a 15 20 minute conversation after that me me and our buddy Drew Carter who ironically now covers Nate Oates for a living down in Alabama and we had a, a long conversation with him because we were both from the Midwest and, and Nate Oates was a a teacher in Michigan not too long ago at that time and it was just awesome and there were some connections to be made and all that stuff so Nate Oates a, a really good guy and then Tom Izzo uh, another fantastic guy and listen Coach K had the reputation of being a little icy to the students but this is something that that moment isn't probably even on like the Mount Rushmore of no. terrible <laughs> moments in Coach K treating student reporters. It's it's just so it's frustrating because if it was anyone but Coach K, it wouldn't be a story. And if Duke wasn't five and five, it's probably not a story. And we can get into Duke as well. They lose to Louisville in this game. Carly Jones plays great for Louisville. He's kind of vaulted himself into maybe ACC Player of the Year conversation. There's a couple other guys you'd have to mention: Justin Champagny. I think Jay Huff and Sam Hauser have been terrific for Virginia, and they're mm-hmm. really rolling as well. But this Duke team, Matt Hurd is their only guy that is doing anything sort of consistent in terms of offensive production for them. They just cannot get a Robin to Matt Hurt right now. And it probably would have been Jalen Johnson, but he's hurt and he's not really playing that great since he's been back. He's not playing much either. I mean, you yeah. see his game logs. He's going out there like 15, 20 minutes. Here's the thing that I look at with Duke. It's that 
they don't have any sort of consistency in their rotations. Like, one game you'll see Wendell Moore. He goes out there and plays 35 minutes, and then another game he's out there for 20 minutes, and it's not foul-related. And that's the thing that I think is... These guys can't get into any sort of rhythm, and when you've got a a decent number of guys coming back, like, you look at Joey Baker's back and Jordan Goldwire and, and Matthew Hurt... And Wendell Moore, like, you should have some sort of consistency in your rotations. I get it if maybe, okay, you you play the guard matchups here or there. You play the big matchups here or there a little bit. But there is zero semblance of consistency within their rotations. And I think that's really hurting these guys. Absolutely. And this has always been a Coach K thing. And a critique with us on Coach K is how he doesn't seem to pick a set rotation This year, it's really come to the forefront, and when they're playing bad, it gets talked about more. I'll say this, though. I still think Duke makes the tournament, and that might be kind of a hotter take now. Mm, Yeah, Yeah. that's definitely, yeah. I mean, I don't think they're—I look at their Ken Palm. They're 34, as of us recording this at Okay, I actually want to play this game with you. I have this written down in my notes here. We have to play the better or worse than Duke. With teams behind Duke and Ken Palm. Because this is unbelievable. Yeah, I I don't get it. Duke at 34. I'm going to go down the list of teams behind them, and you're going to tell me if they are better or worse than Duke. You ready well, we might this? get to 55 here. I mean, this <laughs> could take the rest the of the 70s. podcast. Okay, you ready? <laughs> St. Louis, 35. Oh, definitely St. Louis is better. They've been on a pause, but much better. North Carolina, 36. UNC's better right now. I mean, this one's not even a question. Louisville, 37. Yeah, they just beat them, so no. <laughs> Louisville's better. Arkansas. Yeah, the Arkansas is better than them. They're probably overrated, though, I'd say. LSU. LSU can't defend. The weird thing was, I don't know if you caught this, Jay Billis, I think LSU was the game after Duke-Louisville, and I was watching, and it was Mm -hmm. LSU-Kentucky, and LSU got blown out by Kentucky. Maybe not blown out, but they got beat badly, if memory serves right. They got blown out, yeah. Especially for Kentucky standards this year. Right. (laughs) And Jay Billis said something weird. They did one of those cut-ins, which was uh, right before the end of the Duke game, saying, like, hey, just a reminder, LSU-Kentucky's up next. And I believe it was Jay Billis. And he said, like, watch out for LSU. They can guard people. And I was thinking, like, what? Like, (laughs) I'm a big fan of Jay Billis. But I don't know if he just misspoke there. Because LSU, if you look at their stats. 135th in Ken Palm. Yeah. Their whole story all all year long has been they can't guard a lick. I mean, Alabama put up 23 threes on them. And they scored 105 points against them. So I was just bad. But LSU, I'm not that high on, but I still would say they're probably better than Duke right now. Like, neutral side, I'm taking LSU. Rutgers. Oh, man. Rutgers got a good win this weekend. I still think it's Rutgers. Like, I've agreed with you on every single one so far. Yeah. I still think it's Rutgers, and I still think it's not that close. Yeah, it's Rutgers, and I'm not high on Rutgers either. They're overrated on Ken Palm probably, too, because I I view them as a bubble team right now, and it was a huge win over Indiana that they desperately needed to stop a losing skid this weekend. All right, so we're on 41 here. Maryland. <laughs> okay, this is Maryland is what are they 9 and 7 that, now? Yeah, 9 and 7. They're close. They're they're the closest that we've seen so far. But uh, listen, I'm going to get deeper and deeper on this list and you're going to see there are teams that are much better than Maryland in my eyes that are yeah. right here. Well, Maryland has probably the most befuddling resume in the country right now. They right. have three top 30, three top 30 Ken Palm wins on the road including beating Minnesota finally Minnesota went down at the barn this weekend. Crushed so, them. Dominated that game for 40 minutes. Yeah. I, I can't make sense of Maryland. They're kind of like Marquette. Marquette lost to DePaul recently after being Creighton early in the year, being Wisconsin early in the year. So that's probably a bubble team, but 
I guess Maryland you'd have to side with just because they've at least been. Hey, they, they get up for the big games. So yeah. I guess I would probably take. I mean, Maryland's um, got three up. quad one wins and Duke has yeah. zero. So yeah. Next up, Seton Hall. Yeah, Seton Hall is better than them, I'd say. Syracuse. Eh. I know you. I know you're you're down. Syracuse is better than Duke. Yeah, they're they're probably better than Duke. I mean, their resume at least Syracuse has the win over Virginia Tech that they got this weekend, which is quad two. Convincing but, win. Yeah, and like here's the thing: is Syracuse has convincing wins in the ACC. Duke does not. Yeah, they don't. They Duke's don't. best win is over Notre Dame, who is eighty on Ken Palm. Now, I do think Duke's better than that, and like I said, I think they're going to make the tournament. But thirty four on Ken Palm is outrageous. I mean, we don't even have like. We can keep going if you want, but it's just... All right, speed round. Let's speed yeah. round. Go through some of these. Michigan State, who's high in Mich- and of themselves. Michigan State's yeah. better, yeah. Virginia Tech. VT. Penn State. Ooh. That's kind of Penn State, what? I think, is a little out, yeah. out of place, too. But Yeah, I, I would say Duke's better than Penn State. offensive rebounding team, but okay. That, that's where we draw the line at 46, but here. Let me, let me go spot through some of these other ones, all right? Stanford at 48. Yeah, Stanford got a good win this weekend over UCLA. This is good because yeah. we're actually kind of recapping the weekend as we're doing this. <laughs> BYU. Uh, yeah, BYU is, I mean, they're kind of the same team. I would probably take Duke in a matchup of head-to-head against BYU, honestly. Xavier. Xavier's better than them. Clemson. No, oh, that's it. That's a, <laughs> which Clemson are we talking about? I don't know. <laughs> They I don't think it matters. I really don't think it matters. Um, all right, I'm just going to take a couple spots here. Um, Georgia Tech at 58. I'm rolling with Georgia Tech. Yeah. I got a couple mid-majors for you here out of the, the mountains. Utah State and Boise State, 55-56. I like both of those teams over them right now. Yep. Um, 66, Pitt. I'm taking Pitt, and it's not close. Well, they did beat um, Duke, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, we, we can cap it right there. But so... That, like that's the point we got to 66 and this is a 68 team field and you have to take into account that there's a bunch of mid-majors that are getting spots to me right i don't see this duke team getting into the tournament because of that the only reason why i'll make i'll make the case why they're going to make the tournament is because they're about to reel off a winning streak here and it's kind of crazy because we talked about how they had an easy start to the acc schedule Coach K just got dealt a great schedule this year, is my conclusion, because they're on Ken Palm, and we should note, they're 34 on Ken Palm, so that's, as we just laid out, way, way too high, but they're projected to win their next seven games on Ken Palm. I'll just read them off quickly. Georgia Tech at home, that's going to be a tough game, but they're at home. I think they could win that one. That's actually tonight, as of us recording this on Tuesday, so some might know the results of that. Clemson. At home, Clemson has fallen to 50 on Kempom, and they've really looked tough lately. Duke's at home for that game, so they, they're projected to win by four right now. Miami on the road. Miami's been really bad lately. I think they could win that game on the road. UNC, but it's UNC at home, and it's, you know, throughout the records, I guess you could say. Notre Dame at home after they already beat Notre Dame. throw out the Notre records Dame. when there's no fans in the stands? Like, that's the thing that, that <laughs> I'm wondering. See, so so you bring up that four-game stretch right there, and they're projected 4-0 on Kempom. I really lean more towards that's a one and three, two and two stretch for them. Like those are teams that are middle-ish of the ACC, but they're not bottom of the ACC. It's not you're not going through Notre Dame, Boston College, Wake Forest. Those are the three worst yeah. teams in the ACC. 
These four teams, like you can say what you want about Miami. They're 99th in Ken Palm, but they've played tough with a lot of teams and have been shorthanded. Who knows? Chris Likes might be back for that game. If Chris Likes is back, there's a chance that, that, that Miami can win that game at home. Isaiah Wong's been fantastic this year. So, I mean, there is a real world where they go through that four-game stretch that Ken Palm projects them out as 4-0, and they end 1-3. I really could see a world, because, I mean, we've rattled through the teams, we think three of those teams are better than Duke. Yeah, I, my whole take here, though, is that talent is going to start to play a factor at some point. I mean, Duke has to get better over the course of the season, and they have the talent. Like, Wendell Moore got a very clean look to, I guess it was to tie the game, I'm trying to remember. At the end of the game, they got two shots from three that would have tied the game, I believe, against Louisville at the end of that one, and they missed them both, and it's like, some of these shots have to start falling for Duke a little bit because they have the talent, they have this great coach, and the whole case of why the Blue Bloods have been struggling this year is because they didn't have the offseason to, you know, get those freshmen up to speed, get those new guys up to speed, transfers, whatever, that these programs rely on oftentimes, and the five-stars aren't performing at five-star level at a lot of schools because of that. Well, now we're getting into the season here where Duke has played a lot of games recently, they probably had a lot of practices without a hiccup recently. You know, if there's not a pause in the future, like Michigan just went under, is going under now. I mean, that's tough. Yeah. For, like, it can happen, and maybe that'll change, but they've got a clean schedule here where they have wins in front of them, and they're more talented than all these teams in their next seven or eight games. So at some point, you got to start winning games, I think. Real quick, do, give me your blue blood panic meter. I'm going to give okay. you Duke. Carolina, Kansas, who yeah. has entered the chat, uh, Michigan State, and Kentucky. Go. Duke's a 10, full-scale 10, I'd say, at this Ooh, point after okay, losing three okay. in a row. Kentucky, we can drop to a 9. They got a blowout win, but who really cares because they're so far out of the tournament that maybe they're even still a 10. Um, UNC, good win over NC State this weekend. They probably dropped to a 7. I mean, they're firmly inside the bubble. A 7? I feel yeah. like it's kind of high. What do you think? I think UNC is like a a four. Well, they're still a bubble team at this point. They still haven't necessarily done anything too noteworthy. They bounced back against a rival that they lost to earlier. But, I mean, they're trending up. I think Caleb Love has started to play better for them. Anthony Harris is back. I just This pick game is a real test for them. Yeah. We're grading on the scale of blue bloods. You got to keep that in mind. Like, UNC fans that, that are still fair. not happy okay. with the team. That's fair. And yeah, maybe it's because I'm not note, down there, but yeah. Yeah, on that note, Kansas fans, I mean, we go to the Kansas message boards right now. I'm sure they're acting like they're a 10. So on that scale, I think Kansas is about a 5, 6. I feel like I feel like the thing about the, the blue blood panic meter is everything has to be in the moment. You have to be the biggest prisoner of the moment yeah. when you do these. And if you are evaluating it that way, Kansas is most definitely a 10. And I think they are... They are neck and neck right now with Duke in terms of how much you're panicking on that team right now. Because, I mean, three straight losses in, in the Big 12 against teams that maybe one team that you shouldn't be better than. But um, the the other two, I mean, you, you should be better than Oklahoma and you should be better than Oklahoma State this year. Yeah, the Blue Blood Panic Meter... It's basically graded on like a four to 10 scale in my eyes, because if everything yeah. is going perfectly with the program, people are still panicking at a blue blood school. 
So like <laughs> that is true. Like Virginia's not blue. I can't even think of a good blue blood this year to make a comparison. But last year, if you're talking about what about Villanova, Villanova. Okay, Villanova. Yeah, they're like a, a four right now on the scale because fans are still thinking, oh no, we we come back from the we pause. We still games. Are we gonna get? In yeah, the <laughs> right. They they still. I mean, everyone is always looking at it from a how can we get to a one seed side of things. So when you're talking about Carolina. They're looking at a 10 seed or a 9 seed right now. So you got to put them at least like if Carolina's a 2 seed, their panic meter's at a 4 probably. If everything's going right, they're a 4. So that's at least how I view it. What about Michigan State? Oh. They haven't played in what is it? Yeah, now? they almost, were postponed almost 3 weeks. Is it that long? Gosh. Yeah. Uh mm-hmm. last game was January 8th against Purdue. Yeah, I don't know what I said for them last time, but they're an 8 or a 9 right now cuz yeah, if you're not playing games, it's tough to really improve your resume and get your panic meter down. So I but, would say right but, around there. But you can't lose games, which is what <laughs> they've been doing true. a lot of so far this year. So yeah. Um. All right. Um. Let's get into some big Monday stuff because what a big Monday it was. Virginia goes out, topples Syracuse. Virginia looking really, really good right now. They've pulled off a couple of really big wins and. Them alongside Florida State, it looks like the ACC is starting to take a little bit of shape right now. So when you look at Virginia and what this team is starting to accomplish now, all the way up to seven on Ken Palm right now. So they're really rising. They're they're a top 10 team once again in the polls. But in this game against Syracuse, it was interesting to me because everyone likes to think, oh, Virginia, slow, 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 slow. They play kind of fast in this game. Yeah, They were getting up and down the floor. And they put up 81 points on a Syracuse defense that was starting to show improvements. Yeah, they're ninth in offense right now. That's got to be the highest they've been outside of the last time they won the national title or the last time that we played an NCAA tournament with the Kyle guy and and that team. They're also ninth in defense. So they're maybe not quite as good as they normally are defensively, but Virginia is the best team in the ACC right now. And Florida State's kind of making a case for it. I still would lean Virginia. So you've you've got Virginia. Because I yeah. kind of lean in the Florida State camp. Well, Virginia doesn't have the quality of wins. That's the only thing holding them back. Their best win mm-hmm. to date is actually the Syracuse game they just won. Syracuse dropped to 43 on Ken Palm, which, as we said, might even be a little bit overrating the Orange at this point. Hard to really but they say, were, though. When they played, what were they, like 34? Yeah, they were 35 or 36, 35? I okay. believe. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's tough because when they played Clemson, Clemson was number 12 in the country. Now they're 50 on Ken Palm. A lot of these wins just haven't sort of stayed the course for them. But I don't know. Like, Virginia is still taking care of business. They've won seven in a row. They've now won 15 straight ACC games. And them in the regular season, it's a joke. I saw the stat that ESPN flashed last night. I think it was 58 and maybe eight or something in their last ACC stretch yeah, what, of games. What is this? this is 15 straight ACC wins for them. Yeah. Like that's exactly. how dominant they've been. So no, I look at Virginia and yeah, they're a team that's on the surge. I still lean Florida state a little bit because I like what they do offensively. And I like the depth that they have to, to and they, they can, I think the star power leans with, with Florida state too. And I think that's something that might be overwhelming to this Virginia team, but I'm looking at Virginia. How would we be looking at this team if they don't lose that game to San Francisco in game number two? Like, yeah. let's say, let's just say it's a close one. Let's say they go out and win that game 65-61, okay, instead of the, the 61-60 loss that they have. How are we, and so 
when you lay out the resume, they've won every single game except the blowout loss to Gonzaga. And a lot of teams have gotten blown out to Gonzaga this year. How would we be looking at this team? Would we be actually talking about Virginia as a top five team in the country right now? I think they are, probably. I mean, I'm still almost there with them. Maybe not top five, but definitely top ten. And I almost kind of view yeah, them as... A, I don't think anyone's disputing a top 10. But yeah. top five is interesting. Yeah, it's it, you'd have to really crunch. I mean, it's tough like they because now Michigan's on a pause, and it's yeah, tough, they definitely tougher this lead, year to do it. They def, like, when we're going off a Ken Palm standpoint, they definitely leap over Houston. They probably get over the hump with Villanova. And, I mean, you and my... The, the way that we do the eye test here, they're better than Iowa. I mean, this team would crush Iowa, I think. Really? I don't they know. They have the defense, I feel like, to do it. Yeah. Iowa is just so good when things are clicking. And, when and they're Virginia right. Is a team, yeah, but Virginia is a team that if you are a bad defense, they're going to take advantage of you that way. And I also wouldn't just say they're definitely over Houston. Houston's got some better wins than them, probably. That is fair. If you, if you look at quad one, and that is fair. I mean, Houston has lost Mills, but... They're still rolling right along. They've they've been yeah. pretty good. Um, Are they going to be the the sleepy like two seed that they could be a one goes seed to like? Well, they can, but will they? Is <laughs> sort of like okay. I and think a lot of bracketologies up. right now they are, and I think a lot of people really? are just assuming because they'll run the table too, and it'll be okay. tough to kind of not make the you know how do you leave the only them thing with off them is the that one line a, a loss uh, if houston loses a game it's it's like a doomsday scenario where they can no longer be a one seed yeah it kind of feels that way they uh, might but, not lose <laughs> right that, that is also that is also very true um but yeah no i i'm i'm looking at this right now i mean if the tournament started today my one seeds right now gonzaga baylor michigan and then probably villanova yeah, I would say whoever wins the Big Ten, if if it's Michigan or Iowa that wins the Big Ten, then I'm probably going with them at the one line. I know Iowa lost Indiana. You on know what's Thursday so weird night, this but... year? I feel like we're not given enough uh, credit or or opening up the the possibility of two Big Ten teams getting a one seed. Like when the ACC is good, it's an automatic two ACCs are a one seed. But this year, it doesn't feel as automatic that there's going to be two Big Ten teams that are one seeds, even though a lot of people, well, I think you could even make the same argument with the big 12. They say those are the two best team, two best conferences in college basketball. And neither is a lock to have like those two conferences might only occupy two one seeds combined. Yeah. I'll say this about Virginia. They're they're as strong as they've ever been. Virginia. I view like Alabama in the sense that I don't really care about the San Francisco loss that much, because if you think about them, they were working stuff out. They were trying weird stuff on offense back then. I just know that was, if you're going to lose, lose early in the season, and it's inexcusable to me. I, I get, like, San Francisco's not a good loss. San Francisco's 79 in Kempom, and then they squeaked by Kent State a couple weeks after. But when you look at Alabama, I just, I'm viewing them from a prism of, okay, when they get to March Madness, can they win it all? And that really just depends on how you're playing at that given time. And a lot of other stuff, like what your draw is, too. But for Alabama, I could say, yeah, I could see them winning it all because, sure, their resume isn't great altogether because they lost to Western Kentucky. They lost to Clemson, which is looking worse. I think the other one was South Carolina, if I'm remembering correctly. 
maybe it was Stanford. I, I can't remember. But anyway, they they all they did all their losing early on. Now I know they're a different team and they've turned a page. Same thing with Virginia. So it's kind of hard not to put them in the top five conversation, at least at this point. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to the the second game of the night. This one much, much closer. This was one of the better games that we've honestly seen all college basketball season. And it feels like we're starting to see Texas Tech have the knack for the dramatic game. I mean, they've had a, an overtime game against Oklahoma State this year. Of course, the, the big win on the big shot from Mac McClung against Texas from a week ago. And then this game against West Virginia, 88-87. And it's actually the Mountaineers that pull this one off. You know, I looked at this box score after. This is one of the strangest box scores I've ever seen. Ever seen. So, you know, West Virginia, they closed this game going 10 for 10 from the field. Yeah. Did not miss their final 10 shots of the game. And then they, but the thing is, is that they went 16 of 27 from the free throw line. Like, they could have put this game away early if they were making their free throws. And, and they tried to put this game away in like the first 10 minutes they were up double digits pretty early on and then um uh, and then Texas Tech comes back and ties it up going into the half and this was just a, a great game back and forth and all that stuff but um meanwhile on the other side Texas Tech they only turned the ball over two times in this game Texas Tech won the turnover battle 12 to 2 and lost a one point game they also put up 85 points so sports reference the greatest site whether it's Baseball, basketball, football, all those reference pages, the best websites for, for all sports and statistics. They they have their their box score tracker, so you can see, like, oh, when's a team done this? When's the last time a team has done that? And it only goes back about 10 years. But in, in the all the data that they've collected, there's never been a team to turn the ball over two times, score 85 points or more, <laughs> and lose. This yeah, is the first time they've done, that's ever happened. And, like, you think about that, and you wonder, how do you lose? And I guess the, the way you lose is you let a team go 10 for 10 from the field to close the game. Yeah, it's amazing. They, West Virginia brought up your, their free throw shooting. They shot at 59% from the line, and they shot at 63% from three in this game. They were 12 for 19 from they, three. They listen, had, they yeah. went down double digits a couple times in this game, and they always got that three to cut it from, like, 11 to 8, 10 to 7, and that kind of gave them the hope to keep going. Yeah, and Deuce McBride hits the game winner in this game, which was a great sequence to end the game. Mac McClung, I thought, was going to make his shot just because of the night he was having. Had 30 points, 131 offensive rating on Ken Palm, where 100 is basically average. That's a very solid offensive rating for the number of possessions he was taking, a number of shots he was taking. McClung had four threes on eight tries. Texas Tech was 40% from deep, 9 for 22 the game just didn't go how I thought it would because these are two of the best defenses in the country. I thought we could get into, remember when Texas Tech, I believe they played Kansas and it went down to the wire and it was just an ugly game earlier in the year Yeah, that mm -hmm. was 60 to 59 or some sort of close score to that. West Virginia almost played like they were playing against Gonzaga when we watched West Virginia play early in the year against Gonzaga. They, they got into this up-tempo shooting a lot of threes, and I guess it was cool to see both those teams sort of adapt to that style and be like, okay, we're playing this type of game. You know, we're so good that we can win this way, each of us, too. And, and Texas Tech very nearly could have won this game, so I'd say they fall into that category. But a very interesting game from the surface of, I don't know what the over-under was projected to be, 
but it had to shatter that completely because when you went into the game based on average points allowed and the defenses that they had, you would think it would be in the 60s, and it ends up 88-87. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, too, where, I mean, Mac McClung, the way that he's carried this Texas Tech team these last couple of games, I'm looking at his game log right now. He's got 30 points in this one. He had 24 in the loss to Baylor, and then 22, including the big clutch game winner against Texas. I mean, we really have to start putting this kid maybe in the, the National Player of the Year spotlight. And, like, obviously, we, we talk about it all the time. This is Luca Garza's award to lose right now. But what he is doing right now, the best player on a very good Texas Tech team, doing it night in and night out against the best competition in the country, I don't think he's getting enough credit for what he's doing right now as the leader and the best player on this Texas Tech team. Yeah, I think I actually think Texas Tech is still the better team. I just feel like West Virginia was sort of weird that they won the game, as you laid out, with the turnovers and making all those shots down the stretch. It felt like Texas Tech dominated, especially in the second half. I would say that the shot quality report and everything would back that up, too. I haven't looked, but... Well, Texas actually, Tech. that's how I found the, all the stuff with the, the stats for this game. Shot, I think shot quality, because the guy quote tweeted it and said that we know how the shot quality report's going to look tomorrow morning. Yeah. So so it had to be lopsided in favor of Texas Tech, we're saying. Well, no, 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 no. I think he's saying that uh, the West Virginia might, it might have been theirs because all the missed free throws and stuff like that also plays a, a factor in it. Yeah, I guess. So I don't know. I mean, you, you could honestly tell me anything with this shot quality report, and I'd probably believe it. I think Texas Tech would have won this game most times, though. When you turn it over twice, the other team turns it over 12 times. And also, West Virginia hit 12 of 19 threes. I don't care. I mean, they yeah. hit some tough contested threes in this game, just from jogging my memory. I can't remember all 19, but when I watched, it did feel like West Virginia was just hitting shots more than they usually do. Which was good to see because that's kind of been a a problem with them at times against elite competition. But the Big 12 is really fun. They've got five teams in the top 15 in the latest AP poll. Texas is a top five team and Shaka Smart announced he has COVID the other day. So I think Texas is going to proceed like normal for this week. But hopefully best wishes to Shaka and everything for recovering. We'll see how that affects things. But Baylor continues to roll. They're number one in the net now. This Big 12 is loaded at the top, and we really can't say enough. Also, the state of Texas has four of the top 10 teams in the country right now. I guess Texas Tech is going to fall out of that, but Houston, Texas Texas Tech, Texas, and Baylor. Yeah. Yeah. And and guess what? Uh, I mean, we've got the the SEC Big 12. So, I mean, if if they beat LSU, I don't know if they'll drop out of the the top 10. Because remember, when you drop out of the top 10, there also has to be someone to take your spot. And if if there's not enough worthy challengers to take your spot— then who knows? Maybe you you hang around for for an extra week. All right, let's get into any, anything else you want to hit on from that game before we get into our, our Baconator Bachelor here. No, I just have one quick thought that I want to mention before Baconator Bachelor. Shout out Ohio State. They did it again. They were underdogs. Short yeah, that, man. That's part of my one and dones. Uh, okay, I've got some Ohio State thoughts too. Okay, all um, right. I didn't. I thought, we can get. Yeah, yeah. We can we can get to that in a second. All right. Let's get to our Baconator Bachelors here because this is this is what we like to do. We like to narrow down the Player of the Year race week by week. We are eliminating teams, or we're eliminating names rather 
bachelor style here. We're, we're giving out roses and we're giving out Baconators because we need to find the best player in college basketball. So last week, we asked the names of Colin Gillespie, Matthew Hurt, Remy Martin, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Garrison Brooks, and James Booknight. This week, we're going we're gonna to slim it down only three names here. Um, you can go ahead and start with this one because I, this felt hard but also easy at the same time. I feel yeah. like Luca Garza makes it that way every single week right. for us. Like, Luca Garza's oh, already like won The Bachelor. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, this is a... Oh, wait, we, yeah, we, we have to decide. When are we doing making this the, the koozie watch? Oh, right. I mean, we can already do it because Luca Garza's <laughs> going to win unanimously. The, the <laughs> and I think we're, award, we're cutting think. like three centers today, too. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, we are. So first center to cut, Charles Bassey. He's had a nice year, great shot blocker for Western Kentucky, but you play in the Conference USA, you play for a Western Kentucky team that started the year making some headlines, but has kind of fallen victim to a couple things that have, you know, injuries and other sort of things. They haven't been quite as good lately. They haven't been good enough to warrant being a wooden player of the year. So I think we can cut Charles Bassey. And I wonder if the voters too are like, we don't want this to be a Reggie Bush Heisman situation. We know you got paid. So we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna compromise the trophy here. We're gonna give it to someone else. Um, yeah, Probably no, I think fair. Charles Bassey. Yeah, yeah, your your rationale too is yeah spot on. Western Kentucky, a Western Kentucky guy is not beating Luca Garza this year. I'm sorry. Uh, next up, this one was a little tough, I think, to to axe, but I felt like it needed to be done because there's just no way he's gonna win it, and, and it's Kofi Coburn, and that yeah. I feel like that is the. That's the first name that I think might have some shock value of us cutting, especially this early. Yeah. But it's Kofi because, like, he's not even the best candidate on his team. And if you're not the best candidate on your team, you're not going to win this award this year. So let's just get it out of the way. Kofi Coburn, cross him off the list because, listen, he and that's not to take away anything. And, again, we say that for pretty much everyone on this list. You're on this list for a reason. It's because you're one of the best players in the sport right now. But – when you're not the best candidate on your team, because that honor goes to Io DeSumo, and, and honestly, like Io's going to be going on one of those last dates here in Baconator Bachelor. At least that's the way I, I'm going to see yeah. it play out. But if you're not one of the best Hometowns candidates on your for team, Io. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I just don't see it. Like it, it can't happen. He, he goes silent in some of these games. He puts up big numbers, yes, but when you're inactive for five to seven minutes of a game while you're on the floor. That's what hurts this team. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Kofi. Honestly, Kofi's not a first team All Big Ten guy right now. You got Hunter Dickinson who somehow didn't yeah. make this wooden watch list. You got Trace Jackson Davis. You got Luca. I mean, you know who also didn't make this list. Mac McClung. Yeah, he was only averaging 16 a game going into tonight. I will say. But he has that big game spotlight. I'm gonna give you the the big moments, and he's just such a brand at this point that he he's always on the Twitter feed and stuff like that when he right. does something right. Yeah. All right. All right. Next up, Derek Culver. I mean, let's just take a look at last night, West Virginia. We just spent all t- all this time recapping West Virginia. Derek Culver played 18 minutes, had 10 points, was four for eight in the game. Two for six from the foul line. Had a 94 offensive rating last night, and they still won the game against Texas Tech. I I think he's a nice player. Don't get me wrong. He's a solid player. Probably an all-Big 12 player. 
I just don't even consider him in the realm of top 15 in the country right now. Yeah, that's fair. So there, there you have it. We asked three centers. The, the koozie watch has narrowed once again. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know when we're going to change this, but but we will at some point change into this. All right. Now we can rapid fire through some one and dones here. One and done. My guys. Obviously, we have one in our conference. It has a doctorate degree in one and dones, right? <laughs> so when you look at, across the country, there's the debate of number one versus number two. And maybe we can get into that debate later on in the, the week. But... Baylor with another great comeback. They were dead to rights against Oklahoma State, and all of a sudden they just turn the Jets on and they go out and and they cover a, a nine point spread in this game. And it looked like the nine point like if you had a, a Baylor minus nine ticket, you were ripping it up. And by by the time this game was at like five minutes left in the the game, you, you were getting some tape and trying to tape it all back together. Yeah, no, Baylor looks great, and they've got six quad one wins at this point. I don't really understand how Illinois is still eight on Ken Palm, but that's a whole nother tangent. They're up to one in the net. Baylor is now third in offensive efficiency on Ken Palm, first in defense. That sounds pr- pretty good to me. I think you're you're going to be winning a lot of games if those two stats yeah. are, are going your way like that. So, yeah. Listen, every champion... In, it has been top 15 in offensive and defensive efficiency, both of them. Right. Every champion except for one. It was that UConn team, that weird year where UConn won as an eight or a nine seed, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, We're looking at yeah. you, Iowa, and your 98 yeah. defense at this yeah, point. exactly. Maybe so, they'll, they'll be one of the few, but I, as we talked about a lot with Iowa, I don't see it just based on their defense. In terms of national title conversation, sticking with Baylor, though, 13 of 14 wins this year by double digits. And the only one they didn't win by double digits was an eight-point win on the red at Texas Tech. I, We might as well just say 14 of 14 double digits because the point holds that they haven't really ever been in to- – I mean, I guess they were in jeopardy in this Oklahoma State game if you want to look at it the way you – Yeah, this is their closest game, and, and they won pretty comfortably. <laughs> right. And Jared Butler, holy cow, has he been good. He might I mean, win he, the he's Koozie He's not award. missing from three. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you look at the way that he's playing. He, he's jumped Io in my eyes in, in the, the best guard in the country right now. He's shooting 50% from three right now. Yeah, and he's doing so many other great things. He's such a winner and such a leader for that team, and no one really would have projected that when he came out of college. So just hats off to drew and what he's done with the program because he's found these hidden gem recruits and he's found these transfers as well whether it's uh how do you say the guy's name jonathan jonathan Ch- shawama chachua yeah or something did, like did that I mix up the order there maybe but that's that's close enough people get the idea yeah, adam Ch- flagler Chihuahua same Chachua. thing yep yeah mm-hmm. Chihuahua, i think that's it shawama chachua we'll get it down by by the time bailey's in the national title game maybe but adam flagler another recruit from presbyterian we've talked about on the show they're they are so, hose. so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, what do you got? I, I was going to say Oklahoma or Ohio State, so let's talk about that because yeah. I know you want to mm-hmm. talk about them too. Yeah. I mean, they wore the jerseys. Everyone was, was up in arms, or not up in arms. Everyone was excited for the jerseys that came out. It was the, the all-black jerseys with the, the red script. I mean, those were awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and they played awesome in them. So they're up to 12 in Ken Palm. They beat Wisconsin 74-62 this weekend, if you missed that. Seth Towns is playing like Seth Towns of old at this point. He's not playing a ton of minutes still, but when he's out there, 
He's very efficient. He's very effective for them. And a couple of times I've been watching them and been like, man, that, that guy's starting to find it a little bit. You can tell. I think Chris Holtman right now, you could make a case. There are a lot of contenders. You can make Casey's coach of the year, though. I would say, you know, in order to really get into it, I'd have to crunch it some more. I think Kelvin Sampson probably is up in that conversation for coach of the year. Nate Oates, Juwan Howard, maybe Shaka. You can make a case, despite the fact that they're still a little bit unknown with the Texas team. I, I, like, there's a lot of great coaches, but yeah, Chris Holtman's on the short list to me. I, I again, just continue to sing his praises because what they're doing is winning in a tough Big Ten and winning games they're not supposed to win if they were healthy, and they're undermanned. They're going into, you know, backup point guards that aren't even normally playing point guard spot, or that's not their typical position, and they're winning games. It's really impressive. Yeah, he's definitely in the conversation. I just see three or four guys that are well ahead of him. Nate Oates, I think, would be my pick right now. Maybe Juwan. It might be Juwan Howard. From I think this two week pause might kill it. And, and yeah, the whatever Shaka's pause could kill his candidacy too. But I mean, Kelvin Sampson's a name that I think you got to bring up. And I mean, if Gonzaga runs the table, you have to throw Mark Few's name in there. You just have sure. to. Sure. And, and it, like I don't know if Chris Holtman's going to have the record to to get that award. That's the, yeah. the one thing that concerns me. I'll say um, this. He's not going to win, but I think he should be. It's almost like Evan Mobley. No one talks about him, and I just think he should be getting talked about more. Same thing with Chris Holtman. He should be getting more respect for what he's doing with Ohio State. Yeah. Like, here's the thing is, we rattle off those four coaches, four or five coaches, whatever you want to say. They have a combined six losses, and Ohio State alone has four, so... I think that kind of kills his candidacy a bit there, but no, I'm with you. Like what what they have done is super impressive, especially these last three, four games where they're essentially playing without a point guard. And yeah. that is never easy to do. So hats off to Chris Holtman. Um, how about this? What a meme week. A- excellent <laughs> meme week. I mean, did, have you seen Dickie V and his Pepto-Bismol? Oh, who hasn't? Like uh, th- that was hilarious. He, he was, Every time Aaron Rodgers took the field, he he, took, he posted the same selfie of him with his Pepto-Bismol. And, I mean, excellent meme week between Dickie V needing to to calm the nerves with uh, with Aaron Rodgers on the field against his beloved Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, you had the, the Bernie Sanders stuff, which is everywhere. Uh, Connor I McGregor hope that's got, over. I, I'm sick of it. You're not I a hate fan to of say. Oh, I, I love those ones. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I love I, those. I got tired of it. It... It was funny the first day, then by day three or four, I was like, okay, are, are people really still laughing at this? But I know there's an audience out there, so. The photoshops were why. great. My, my favorite one was they put him on the, the up with the, the up movie cover with the balloons where he's going up into yeah. the air on the balloons. That was one of my favorite ones. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so with that, and then you, of course, have the Conor McGregor fight too where McGregor's knocked out on the ground. So, yeah, hat, hats off to All the right. main week and Dickie V pitching into the cause. Dickie V was, I mean, just too, too good. <laughs> I, can't, I just title pulled up the photo right now, again. Right? Like, like the Rays went to the World Series. The Lightning won the, the Stanley Cup. The the Bucks are in the Super Bowl. Like, he, he's entitled. I mean, are, are the Raptors going to make a run next? I, I don't know. Like, what, what what's happening there? Yeah, I really, that's kind of it for one and done for me. We touched on a lot of my one and dones when we were doing our 
who's better than Duke Ken Palm rating because yeah. we just ran over a lot of those teams. So yeah, uh, um, I'm all good there. But one more thing, I, I just want to shout out uh, Oklahoma. They're going in yeah. through one of the tougher stretches <laughs> that you will see in college basketball, and they picked up a first win uh, on this tough four game stretch that they're about to embark on. I mean. All right, here's the, how many games is it? The eight-game stretch that they are in the middle of right now. So they go out, they beat Kansas, and a very good Kansas win over the weekend for Oklahoma. Now they've got Texas tonight. That's followed up in the Big Ten, or Big 12 SEC Challenge against Alabama. Then they come back on a short turnaround Big Monday game on the road against Texas Tech. Then they get a, a little bit of a gimme against Iowa State at home. Then they have Baylor, West Virginia, Texas again. I mean, that is That's the tough. <laughs> eight toughest eight game stretch you will probably find maybe in college basketball history. Like that is unbelievable right there. There is one night off I see in, in those uh in that eight game stretch. Yeah. No, they're they're playing some good ball and another team that sort of just is quietly gone under the radar and continues to win some tough games in Big 12 play. They're firmly a tournament team right now, which I don't know if a lot of people Mm -hmm. thought that at the start of the year. So I think the Big 12 has been really fun to follow all throughout the year. Big 10's obviously been a ton of fun as well. Final note from me, good win for Mizzou over Tennessee. They got revenge after losing to Tennessee. Tennessee has now struggled against a couple different quad one games. Two or three in a row for for Tennessee. Two in a row. They have not had Jaden Springer back-to-back games, but you fall to Florida pretty handily. You lose to Mizzou pretty badly. Mizzou's now got five quad one wins. That's third most in the country, only behind Gonzaga and Baylor. So in a world, kind of first in the country because Gonzaga and Baylor are just on a different playing field. So shout-out to Quanzo Martin as well. He... Not coach of the year again. He's like Chris Holtman. He's not going to win the award, but probably deserves a little bit more In the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, he'll get a couple votes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Last one I got here. Did you see this? FIBA fined Canada 227 grand for not playing in a a tournament in November, in the middle of a pandemic. I did not see this. That sounds outrageous, though. (laughs) FIBA continues to be the worst organization in sport. I mean, some people say FIFA. I I think FIBA is right up there with them, so um be better for you like you just yeah be better use a normal basketball how about that let's start with yeah, that use a normal basketball how, I, like i get that oh this is the normal basketball for the world but no come on let's use like a wilson evolution or something like that all right that's gonna do it for us here on made for march we'll be back later on in the week recapping the next couple days of games and we'll also get you ready for the weekend and get into some of the the baylor versus gonzaga conversation because that needs to we're, we're getting to the point now where that conversation needs to be have and and you know what like just because we said that though baylor's probably gonna go and lose to kansas state or something on wednesday like yeah that, that's just <laughs> how it's gonna work but anyway for tim i'm tyler we will talk to you guys later this week the game was over